And my father hung out in those bars and he began to uh, interact with all of these artists that came from all around the world. There was a, a, a sketch artist that was a very, very good painter by the name of Frida Kahlo that he knew and her boyfriend, Diego Rivera, <laughs> that, that came around once in a while and they would hang out at the bar. That was jeweler and metal artist Danny Macchiarini. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from artists, community leaders, writers, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 40, part one. Danny is a second-generation San Franciscan. He's been running Macchiarini Creative Designs in North Beach since his dad handed it over. In this podcast, Danny Mac, as he's known to his friends and loved ones, takes us through the history of his Italian grandfather and his dad, Peter Macchiarini. Danny tells the story of Peter's involvement with San Francisco Bohemians back in the 1930s and their discovery of a now-beloved city character. Here's Danny. Yeah, I am a native. I was born in Rachel. I was born in, in August 15th, 1953. I'm going to be 66 in three or four days. Happy early birthday. Yeah. So I was talking about my father when he arrived back from Italy here in 1927. He was born here in 1909 on the Waller Ranch in Sonoma County. Um, and my grandfather, unfortunately, never got assimilated to this country, even though he was a highly successful contract hop trainer. Where he came here as a migrant farm worker in 1905 from Italy, and we were the migrants during that period, not the Mexicans or the Latinos in the beginning. And so he worked as a basic immigrant worker in the fields, and so did my grandmother. Actually, when my father was born in 1909, she, he was born in the morning, and my grandmother was back out in the fields working in the afternoon. Really tough people. But uh, my grandfather had been trained by Germans in Italy uh, to be a hop trainer, and he wound up being an amazing hop trainer, um, and the owners found out on these various farms a fantastic uh, hop trainer was. He was getting yields out of these hops that were 15, 10, 15, 20 percent higher than they had gotten before when he had trained the hops. So he wound up between 1905 and 1921 when they went back to Italy amassing a pretty good fortune. Uh, much to the chagrin of my father, who didn't want to go back and live in uh, Italy. Unfortunately, in 1922, also after they came, went back to Italy, uh, Mussolini came to power, and he was uh, out to make uh, Italy great again um, uh, and build the new Roman Empire, which the Tuscans, among which my grandfather, my grandmother, uh, my family, hated the fascists. Uh, they were the first. Uh, they were the first group to form partisan groups in 1925 and actually start fighting the fascists. So my father grew up between 1921 and 1927 when he became 17, grew up under fascist rule. 
he but he fell in love with art and he wound up in the um, in in the um, Academy of Art in Pietrasanta. He wound up learning uh, learning marble carving. He became an accomplished marble carver. Uh, but in the middle of his education, uh, his college education, um, uh, which was also in uh, Florence as well as in Pietrasanta, he was interrupted by the black shirts. Now the black shirts, uh, when they were recruited for the Italian army, they would go from village to village and they would line up all the 16 through 22 year old young men and they would say, you, 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 you're in the fascist army, you're going to go make Italy great again. You're going to build the new Roman Empire. And if you didn't go along with them, if you didn't say, all right, I'm in, I want this, it was simple. They put you up against the wall and they shot you. So my father got word that the black shirts were a village away, a couple of villages away in, um, in, in Villarejo, down the road in, in Masacarada, Villarejo. He was up the road up the road a bit, and he grabbed his American passport and his birth certificate, and he went around them to the Rome, to the American embassy, and he said, get me the hell out of here. I'm not going to go fight for this fool. He was of that age, 16 and to 22. He was 17. 17. He, wound, he was uh, 18. He was born in 1909. He wound up in 1927 being prime age to go fight for this idiot. Mm -hmm. So he went around to the American embassy and he got out of Italy, arrived back in San Francisco. He got a job in um, the Italian cemetery carving uh, memorials. Some of them are still down there that he carved, worked on. And he worked in 1927 until he uh, was laid off in 1929 with everybody in the entire country for the thing called the Great Depression. And he struggled for the next few years until the National Recovery Act was established by the Roosevelt administration. And part of the National Recovery Act was the WPA. Is your dad Peter? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at a sign that says Peter Macchiarini Steps. Yeah. And that's where he lived. Okay. He lived on the steps above what where Naked Lunch is. Oh, got it. Uh, right up on Kearney Street. Yeah. He lived in there. And they lived as a, because it was so poor... He actually formed the first artist co-op in San Francisco up on those steps in the 1930s. And it was a lithograph artist and a watercolor artist uh, uh, that lived there. He also lived in a place called the Monkey Block, which was on Montgomery Street, where the pyramid is. Um, he lived both places during the 1930s. Okay. Um, so... Um, he struggled until they established the, the WPA. Uh, and he became part of this group of amazing artists who were WPA artists. And they included all of the muralists. In fact, there was a pre-WPA program that would, that the muralists were on Court Tower were part of. But they all became WPA. And he used to hang out at the Tivoli. Uh, at 5.30, 6 o'clock and go and get their and talk about their work and it was amazing and that went on through the 1960s and into the early 70s and I was lucky enough to meet a lot of amazing artists myself like like Sergeant Johnson, the African-American artist who hang out there. In fact, we were even dropped in and into the studio and my father went, took Maya Angelou out to to have a, have a drink at the Tivoli. He... 
he knew uh, all these amazing artists. Benny Bufano was like his his leader. He was connected with with um, Will Rogers Jr. Uh, was it was uh, actually before he died in 1935 was a friend became a friend of my father's. Um, he. Uh, and that's a story in and of that itself there, too. Uh, anyway, he, in 1930s, uh, uh, hung out with these artists, and, and it became like a mecca in this area. It was like a new, it was like um, the first maybe iconoclast, um, uh, nonconformist uh, movement in the, in the United States. And it was very poor. It was Bohemians. It wasn't beatniks. People think the beats were the first movement in San Francisco. They weren't. It was a group of Bohemians in the 30s that started the the counterculture. Does Mario's have anything to do with that? We just had lunch there, and I've always wondered... Excuse me? Mario's Bohemian Cigar over oh, yeah. here. The, well, does that have anything to do with that movement? That was, that was a hangout. There was In the 30s, there were like two or three hangouts that were really, really popular. One of them was called the Iron Pot, and the other one was the Black Cat. The Black Cat eventually became one of the first gay bars in San Francisco. It had gay people in it in the 30s that were Bohemians, but it wasn't primarily a gay bar until the 50s when the Butterfly Man took it over. Okay. All right, and that's another story, San Francisco story, <laughs> yeah. which is an amazing story. Um, the, uh, um, but anyway, my father hung out in those bars, and he began to uh, interact with all of these artists that came from all around the world. There was a, a, a sketch artist that was a very, very good painter by the name of Frida Kahlo that he knew and her boyfriend, Diego Rivera, <laughs> that, that came around once in a while and they would hang out at the bars. He did some of the murals at Coit Tower. No, right? he didn't. Oh, he didn't. Uh, that was an Armitrov mural. Okay. Uh, was the leader of that. But that wasn't even an Armitrov mural. It was a, it, he was a foreman up there. Uh, but there, that was a cult collective of, of muralists that were amazing muralists. And, there's amazing stories in those guys too. But so, but the, your dad was friends. Yeah, but his, his buddies Frida and Diego just came came around and they hung me? out. His his friends Frida and Diego just came around and, and they. Oh all yeah, hung they out. came around when they were in town. They weren't in town all the time. They would come around, but it was like this was like the place where the artists got together and like would have their kind of like sojourn, right? And that's actually where the Emperor Norton idea came from. Is it? Yeah, they were talking. They were. They could all see fascism coming. They could all see the war coming. Right, and they, they, they said, well, you know, we need a symbol of San Francisco, and this is very important for your San Francisco story, that we need a symbol of San Francisco like they have in New York, which is Statue of Liberty. We need a character that looks toward the Pacific and welcomes the immigrants, as opposed to what was happening in Tokyo, Berlin, and Rome. And at the time, we had a fascist mayor. His name was Mayor Rossi. He used to go greet the Italian ships down in the harbor with a fascist salute. This guy was out there. He also tried to break the Longshoremen's Strike, which my father was almost killed in that strike um, in 1934. But anyway, the idea of uh, they could all see it coming. And so they were kind of like, my father was like the younger of these, these characters, right? He was like the young artist. He was in his, still in his early 30s. Uh, he was, you know, and he was developing his art. And so, well, and they kind of assigned him to go out and look for uh, this character that they might be make a statue about. So my father went to the library and he started researching the history of San Francisco, and he came across the Emperor Norton. And the Emperor Norton at this time was always depicted kind of like as this buffoon, 
this insane buffoon who, uh, who was loved by San Franciscans in his buffoonery. But the real contribution of the Emperor Norton was the fact that he was the only white man to stand up against the Chinese exclusion laws in the state capital, that he championed the immigrant, that he actually stood for gender equality in, in the mid 19th century. He made comments about how women should vote and how women should have a right to speak at public meetings, blah, 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 right? And he crazy went, ideas. Yeah, crazy, 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 insane ideas like, like, you know, gender equality and that kind of thing. He stood against slavery. He, um, he actually got a, added to his title. In 1856, he, went, he always thought there should be an emperor to resolve the issues of, of, of the politics of the United States, right? And he, but he was loved by all social classes in San Francisco, high and low. He came here in 1849, amassed an amazing amount of money in real estate, and then lost it all in the rice market. Uh, it was very weird. Kind of, it was in court, and he wound up going a little insane. But he was in, friends with all the Chinese, all of the white immigrants. He was friends with, even friends with the Colonel General, the Presidio, and the soldiers. He was loved. By, he was friends, had friends in the Pacific Union Club who were very, very wealthy. And he was just loved by all these people because he was so out there and generous, right? And my father was reading about this, and wow, this is the guy, man. This is the guy, this is, should be who represents San Francisco and the spirit of this country, right? Would you say that Norton had been more or less forgotten well, before your dad the, found him, or? Because he Not was, completely, because, but like. Because he was progressive, that was downplayed by the people, it. those who were in power. Sure. Because they didn't want to recognize what he was saying, particularly about you know, ethnic and gender equality and all of these things. That in his insanity, he was one of the most sane human beings of that era. But his reputation had been quashed, is what you're saying, because for, they for a while. Because quash him, because he was loved so much. In fact, he was loved, tell you how much he was loved, there's two stories. He actually uh, printed his first proclamation declaring himself emperor of the United mm -hmm. States in 1856. Mm -hmm. And it was a slow day down at the call, which later became the Chronicle, and they printed it. And immediately, San Franciscans fell in love with the idea of it. And they, 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 he had an entourage. They followed him around. They hung out with him. It was cool. He was the cool dude, right? And uh, he also would, had befriended the Colonel General of the Presidio. He would play chess and checkers with him. Right, every Tuesday or Thursday, I can't remember what it was when I was reading about, it. but he was like really close to him. Mm -hmm. So he was he declared himself emperor. But when the American Civil War broke out in 1861, several European powers were threatening to retake Mexico, mm -hmm. and they actually had armadas assembled and they began to sail out mm -hmm. to take them. Like they, yeah, France and Spain for sure, and maybe England, but anyway, two or three of them. And so, of course, the general got word, of, I mean, the emperor got word of this, and he went down to the colonel general who was defending, he ordered U.S. forces up on alert to go defend Mexico. Mexico. And guess what? They went up on alert, and they started marching toward Mexico, and word got back to those embassies that U.S. forces were on the way to defend Mexico, and they turned around in the middle of the fucking ocean, right? Next day in a call, Emperor of the United States, protector of Mexico. <laughs> That's where right. that comes from. Amaz I mean, amazing story. And when he died in 1880, he had the only state funeral at City Hall, which was, and he was 
and and his coffin was passed by 10,000 San Franciscans who paid homage to him, right? It was the only state funeral until Moscone and Milk was murdered in San Francisco. And I think there's only been one since then. It was Lee, the mayor that just died. Mm -hmm. So anyway, in fact, every year, but still there's a gathering at his at his gravesite by by a bunch of eccentrics that I'm part of called the Clampers. Oh, but yeah, that's the even another story. It is. <laughs> so we'll let that but go. But between so, sometime between when he passed away and now the the 1930s, his his reputation had been. You're saying by by some of the uh, the rich, powerful elite of San Francisco had kind of tarnished his reputation. And, they, and your they, your father they, just rediscovered they, him. They they basically he there was a comic strip. With Emperor Norton, in it. they basically they basically turned him into just um, a, a a buffoon, a quack. It wasn't. They didn't even pay him the honor of, of turning him into a clown. They made him like a, a a buffoon, and that's different, right? And and it was something to laugh at, and to like kind of like, you know, between 1880 and the 1930s, no one talked about his anti-slavery or his, his pro-Chinese or his pro-woman or, 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 or his anti-colonial um, positions. They just talked about him wanting to build a bridge between San Francisco and Oakland, which was good. That was a good thing, right? We like Oakland, right? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, Until that's all. But when my father did this research and he said, all right, here's the guy. And so the other artists, when they gathered the tools, all right, start sculpting them out. So you turn around and you look, and there's the statue he he made for the Emperor Norton in 1936. He 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 made the first one, and he and he instead of giving him a sword, he gave him an umbrella, protector, a protector. He de he demilitarized him consciously because of the of the fascists, right, and and. And he said, we should build this on the waterfront. It should face, face the Pacific. And we should put it up there 30, 40 feet high, right? Welcome the immigrant. That still I, sounds I like a good idea to me. We should still do that. We should absolutely do that. Yeah. We should still put we'll it up. Start we need a more today than they needed it back exactly. then. Right? So we have your father to but thank of course for, we, for the resurrection of his... Yes. It Reputation. Was, it, it, there was no statue. There was no celebration of the Emperor Norton until in the 1930s. My father, in fact, there's a newspaper article here. We'll pull it out for you. That he actually got up right up on it in the 1939. He penetrated through the uh, the establishment, and they actually did a write up on him on on the fact that we needed a statue of Emperor Norton. But at the time, we had a fascist mayor. Then we went into the war. And after the war, we went into the McCarthy era. And after that, there was the Vietnam War era. And nobody wanted to deal with this, this, this guy. And then we, had, then we had the Ronald Reagan era. And of course, there would be no money for a statue of the Emperor Nord under Reagan. And then we had, you know, blah, blah, blah. We went on. Finally, you know, we tried at the very end of his life to try and resurrect the idea. We actually had a couple articles uh, at in local newspapers here on doing a statue of the Emperor Norton, but it went for naught. But when he, my father died, uh, friends of mine got together and they said, wow, you know, it's really sad that there was no statue of the Emperor Norton put up. And because they had named the stairs after him, we proposed putting a little plaza at the top of the stairs, right? 
before he died, just really quickly, before he died, I said, Dad, you know, why, he did the Emperor and Orton, I said, why didn't you do the two dogs that attached themselves to the Emperor's entourage? They weren't really the Emperor's dogs, but why didn't you, you know, they made a good living be hanging out with the Emperor, why didn't you do Bummer and Lazarus? He said, I don't have time, you do it. So I did, I started sculpting them out, and I sculpted out Bummer and Lazarus. Oh, there so are. involved in this plaza that they, that they proposed, involved in this plaza that they proposed um, uh, was um, that we, we actually set up the two dogs on either side of it and it had a little dog place where the dogs could go and get water that you were walking your dog, right? And it was a really cool little plaza. But of course there was a handful of nimbies on that hill that didn't want it to happen. And because they were afraid they would be inundated by tourists and everyone else. So it died again right after he died and this is about 2002 2003 2004 i got a call and then we'll go back into the studio and i'll show you i got a call from this guy johnny Reglin, and he said you know i'm working with a consortium i came across your website i'm working with a consortium we're redoing the uh, san francisco brewing company into the old restoring it into the old comstock saloon mm -hmm. and and we saw your website we saw the emperor norton there do you want to put the statue up? Mm. <laughs> I said, do we want to put the statue up? We've been trying to put this statue up for 60 years, right? Uh, 70 years. And so Johnny got together. Well, it's not 40 feet high. It's four feet high. Okay. But my daughter and I, uh, we blew it up with a computer, but then we had to re-sculpt it to get the balance right because the computer changes all that. Mm. But now there is a statue of the Emperor Norton, at the Comstock Saloon? At the Comstock Saloon, way that. up on top of the bar. Okay. You can see it up there, and there actually is a, the logo. It's Emperor of the United States, Protector of Mexico, and he's up there. That was Danny Macchiarini. Check back Thursday, when Danny will share more about his and his family's San Francisco story. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Find the nearly 90 episodes we've done over on our website, storiedsf.com. While you're there, please help support this project by going to our store page and checking out the various pledge levels. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay current on everything we do. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show for us. And if you have ideas of who should be on the podcast, we're happy to hear. Our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.